The Dental Brief is brought to you by Omni Premier Marketing and the amazing guests who bring wisdom and advice that you can put to use to take your business and practices to the next level. Find us on Facebook and join the conversation. Get ready to grow because we are kicking off the next episode in three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. So excited for our guest today, his experience and, and wisdom that he's going to share. And I'm also Always thrilled when doctors come on the program to share with other doctors. I love the community and what they do for each other. Let's just jump right into it. Big introduction here. Dr. Joe Crowley, say hello to everyone. Good morning. I'm glad to be with you. I, I know you're retired, but I know you're really active. You're a really busy guy. We talked about it for a moment before um, the episode. Tell me about your career in dentistry. And I know 41 years as a dentist, still serving the community. So Clearly, we don't have enough time to cover it all, but kind of give us the synopsis. What, what made you become a dentist in the first place? Wow, that is that is a story that's been told. My father picked out that career when I was a very, very young person, and it yeah. looked like a good place. So I just did everything he had to do to get there, and lo and behold, I became a dentist. Was it a good pick? Did your dad make a good pick for you? Oh, I, absolutely. I, I would, and I say it today still, I would do it over. Even you see some of the strife that... Uh, younger dentists are going through, I'd still do it over in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you've, I know that you've retired from actually clinical work, but you're still very yes. active. Tell us about your role to Actually, when did you retire? How long did you retire from a practice? So, so I, I sold my practice in 2017 um, okay. to a young guy who's just doing fantastic. I, at the, those next two years, I spent time as leadership and president-elect and president of the American Dental Association. I had full intention to continue to work when I came back, but but physically it just didn't make sense. I did a little bit of work and I was struggling with that. So I had other things to fill my time. So decided to give up the clinical practice of dentistry, but I still stay engaged um, as as closely as I can to watching and seeing what practice does today. And, and then I'm involved in some other things, um, doing some work still in a few places with the American Dental Association. And I'm also director of a, a public health oral health coalition in my own hometown here. So, so that keeps me active too. Yeah. And I know you're located, if you don't mind me sharing Cincinnati, Ohio is where you call home, correct? Yes, that's correct. So tell me about your relationship with uh, the ADA today. What does that look like? You know, obviously I've had a long history of being involved in active membership to the organized dentistry and it just evolved to a spot where I ultimately became a trustee at the American Dental Association leadership level, and then went on to become the president-elect and president. Uh, today, because there were projects that that were, were really working, um, very much tuning up at the time when I was in the leadership role, I've been privileged to stay active in, in a couple of those phases of what the work that's being done today. So, so I, I'm working um, and keeping my eyes peeled on the practice transition work which is critically important to the future of dentistry. And then I also do some things that, that I'm chairman of a group of the um, a modern modernization of licensure. So I chair a group that is a coalition between a lot of individuals in the country working on the licensure issue in, in our country right now for dental initial licensure and portability licensure. So I, I stay engaged in that too. Yeah, so you're as, as busy as you've ever been. I, I'm staying, active, staying active and like I said, giving back. In your travels and your experience, tell me what are some of the issues, problems, especially in younger dentists that you see that they're having the challenges that they're they're, they're facing. What are you seeing out there? What's kind of different, and what's really 
difficult. I mean, the bottom line was really hard to overcome for young dentists. Well, let's let's get the <clears throat> let's get the one story out of the way because it was real. The COVID world, those couple years really affected the practice of dentistry in many different ways. Some changes were made that are permanent. There's some getting back to what we used to know, but the young people in their education process and moving out into the real world obviously were affected. So I think that that's something we've watched. The licensure issue and the portability around licensure, which we know a lot of the younger people being educated today want to be portable and their ability to do that. I think we're hitting great strides there. And I think when I talk to the younger dentists and the dental school students that they know the licensure process is opening up is, is a sign of relief for them to be able to at least check that off is what they want to do because you do want to end up living where you want to live. That's that's important. Um, on the transition side of the story, there's so many things going on in the practice model development. Heck, um, back 50 years ago, 50, well, it'll it's 47 years ago when I graduated, 80 over 80 percent of the dentists went into solo private practice. Yeah. You know that model, although it still exists. Is being diminished and being replaced um, it, with small group practices, large group practices, and even large corporate dental practices today, affectionately known as the DSOs. And that opens the marketplace, that opens the delivery model to dentistry in much of a way that 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 has transitioned over all those years that I've been in dentistry. And and that's that's a big issue to, that needs to be understood as younger people are making their their changes that they want to do, where they want to end up. And also for the more seasoned guys who might still own a practice and wonder what's, what's going to happen to their practice. How do they transition out of that world? So it's a big story still, and there's a lot of choices. Yeah. And, and the industry is going to continue to evolve. There's no doubt about that, right? We're going to continue to see changes. I personally think, and I, I don't know very much at all, but I, that's why I have these brilliant guests on my show. But I, I think that we're going to see DSOs continue to grow. And eventually, I think they're going to kind of peel back a little bit. I think they're going to maximize. Investors are going to become a little afraid of them. There might be a little bit of a bubble there. I could I could see that happen. I'm already seeing more and more stories online about dentists who sold to a DSO, and now the DSO is charging them back or wanting them to buy their practice back from them, sometimes at a, a discount, which is great when that happens for that dentist, if, if they want to buy it back. For young dentists, I, I think there's a lot of dentists that that own private practices and, and some dental associations that are very anti-DSO in general and don't ever recommend young dentists work for a DSO. But the fact is, is sometimes that's the only jobs that are available in your area, isn't it? I mean, what choices do you have when no private practices are hiring and you're not ready to start your own practice, but to work for a DSO? You, you know, and, and we can talk about data and sometimes I'm, you'll have to correct me on some of the stuff I say, but we do know that Walking straight from dental school into ownership of a practice is very limited today, almost does not exist. Right. So that means where do these candidates that are now dentists, where do they go to practice? And first job is important. The American Dental Association um, with our practice transitions understands that tremendously. So helping young people find their first job is critically important. And, and we know that these young people are highly educated but, but repetition skills, getting skilled at the work that they do becomes very important. So any setting that gives them the opportunity to practice and be better at dentistry is a good thing. So, sure. you know, I think, I think many dentists were frightened by the DSO model. And then when there was a lot of talk that was taking over the world, well, we're going to coexist 
all the practicing models are going to coexist. Solo practice is not going to totally away, but we know that uh, the economy is scale. So you get small groups that are developing economically, they can be in a better place. And these large corporate owned practices have a place. It's just the money that transfers through them, my personal bias, um, and it is my opinion on this. Sometimes do you answer to the people who are looking for just money or do you still keep it concentrated on the care that the patient's being given? And that can right. get muddy a little bit. And and you, you hear all the horror stories around both of those sides of the story. So um, there's truth in the middle somewhere for those things. And I think opportunity is what we're looking for. Yeah, I think... I, I don't want to misquote, but Edison said something like he knows a thousand ways how to not make a light bulb, right? So, so he knows how it doesn't work. And I think the thing, the same kind of principle can exist when it comes to getting a job, right? You might not know what you don't like until you actually do it, right? Yeah. And there might be some perks. I think there's some things that bigger DSOs do incredibly well. I think there's some things that they do horribly, but unless you see it for yourself, you you really never know unless you experience it, right? You're just guessing. Let's add one thing that we can never lose sight of. There are a heck of a lot of people in our country who don't receive dental care. And we got to keep our, we got to keep our target there too. And what is our ways to do that? And we've got to peel the onion back in every way to make sure that we can, we can get to that point. hundred percent. I think 50%. We we did this in the conference room years ago in my office when I read that 50% of people haven't seen a dentist in more than two years or something like that. I, I forget the exact stat now, but I had people in my office and we're talking suburban, upper middle class employees and work area, work uh, city, right? And I asked and sure enough, like people non embarrassing were like, yeah, I haven't been to a dentist, I don't know, nine years, yeah. something like that. So yeah. it's, I'm always telling dentists, their competitors aren't other dentists. Their competitors are things like BMWs, and a lack of education from patients. So getting those patients in that don't go see the dentist is a, is a gold mine. I got to back up a minute. You mentioned owning a practice right out of dental school. And for most people, I would, wouldn't advise that they do from my experience working with dentists. But I have seen some success with dentists coming right out of dental school and transitioning right into rural practices and ownership in rural practices and have had amazing, like mind-blowing amounts of success. I think the ADA and, and ADA transitions has some case studies on this as well. So those practices seem much easier to run because there's so much more demand for dentistry in those areas. Do you agree with that? So when, when ADA practice transitions has the opportunity to, to be in front of an audience of younger people looking, we try to do a very good job of explaining that the rural practice setting is a place where you can get very comfortable for multiple reasons. Now, there might be some reasons why you wouldn't go there. Maybe your spouse needs to be close to a big city or something. But in reality, you can go into these communities and make a tremendous living for yourself and your family and do a lot of dentistry. So yes, touting what the rural practice has to to offer to a young person is a very good thing. The ability to go, and and one of the other things that I I will say, so the, the debt issue obviously requires an education on how you work through that with these young people. And something like our practice transitions, the ADA's practice transition, and and there's other brokers out there that can help smooth the pathway to the bank, the lending institutions. We do know that dentists are a good risk and the banking industry still understands that. Sure. Yep. You know, I know we're going to 
we're probably going to run a little long here, but I think it's a good thing because I, I hope that this episode helps some young dentists in their career paths and either maybe some older dentists kind of start level their path if it's a little shaky at this time. You have the American Dental Association, Association has, has the ability to help dentists make these decisions, right? To help coach dentists make these decisions. Yeah. I don't know all the details about them. Dr. Carley, why don't you share those a little bit? How can the ADA help a young dentist or anyone kind of make level their path? Well, I, I think, I think, you know, philosophically behind the story is everyone wants their dream job at some point. And sure. what the ADA has done is they've developed, we took a lot of time to do this and we developed a, a platform that uses artificial intelligence, uses all the parameters to show how someone can get from what they're desiring to where they go. And we can mm -hmm. make those connections with both sides of the transition table, be it a large employ employment opportunity or a practice that might enter into associateship with the ability to buy. Those are the things that our platform helps define so that we can start matching people to maybe go pursue their dream a little bit more. So using that platform, I think, is critically important. Getting in there for the younger people, taking an opportunity to really step back and think about their dreams, we prompt those questions. So so I think that's that's really a good thing. And it can show them how your debt is a is a challenge, but it's not it's not a block wall that you can't get through to to help search your dreams. And I think the other thing we can do is help the transitioning dentists on the other side of the equation understand the value they really do have in their practice, not to overvalue it, certainly not to undervalue it, but put a real place on there so there is a business transaction that can occur. Yep. I'm going to invite sometime here in the near future, we have plans to invite the ADA to come on the, the program and other dental associations, local dental associations across the, the country to talk about the value and what they offer, because I think dentists are losing sight of that value. I think they, they look at dues and they go, hey, it's not worth it. I'm not getting this or I'm not getting that. I'll share a personal story with people that are listening. I belong to a mastermind group. It's a community of a couple hundred top-notch marketing agencies from different niches across the, the country, actually across the globe. And we meet three times per year. We have an online community, right? We're in constant communication with each other. And it's a community that I can go to when I'm stuck or that I can look to um, before I get stuck, right? That can offer me wisdom. They've been there. They've done this. I'm thinking about something new. They've already tried it. It costs me 10 times what dues cost to the dental associations per year. It costs a significant amount of money compared to the dues of these associations. And we have nobody legislating for us either, right? So we don't get that. But the community alone is worth it. The amount of mistakes that I don't make from being involved in it is well worth the, the price of admission. So I do want to invite the ADA to come on and talk about that a little bit more, talk about the value that dentists often don't see. I think for a young dentist, there's a tremendous amount of value. And I think at 41 years practicing dentistry, you're here for a reason now. You're not out doing this for the money. You want to share with younger dentists and help them not make some of the mistakes that you've seen a lot of dentists make. Does that sound well, pretty accurate? Well, very much. And think of what you just said. And it's the classic, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So where do you find the information? And, and you're going to a group that everything you want to know is sitting in there in some form and you can go study it. That's what I believe organized dentistry and what the ADA and, and, and our tripartite has is, is that place you can go, maybe just meet another dentist that you can talk about it or right. utilize projects and, and, and platforms that we have that can help you make decisions on are you making good choices, bad choices. I believe right. that, that it's solid there. And, and I think if you give them 
anybody in the ADA an opportunity. We'll talk at length. I say we'll because I still include myself as a, a asset to the ADA. We'll talk. We'll talk all day with you on what we think values are. Yeah, I think that's terrific. Dr. Crowley, thank you f- so much for coming on. I know you're busy. I appreciate it so much. I, I really appreciate you being here. It's a super opportunity, and I appreciate the, the chance to do it. And I just advise young people to, to reach out, find mentors, look at, talk, and you'll, you're going to land in a great place. It's a great profession with a great future in front of you. So that's, I think that's spectacular.